Hello and welcome back to True Crime Guys Podcast. I'm Michael and Lauren's not here. He's on vacation, the lucky bastard. But don't worry, we still have some audio goodness to drop on your freeloader ears. Lauren and I decided to share with you lovely freeloaders our very favorite Sandu Stories episode thus far. Where Lauren played the role of a man on his deathbed telling the story of his daring escape from Alcatraz. He claims he couldn't have done it without his friend Frank Morris, played by Leroy Luna of Excuse Me, That's Illegal podcast. This episode also features special voices by Spotify artist IB, who'll be helping us with some of the musical duties here at True Crime Guys Productions. Oh, and I can't forget my dad. Yeah, that's right, my own dad had a short line in this episode that he absolutely nailed, by the way. So if you like what you hear in this episode, go check out patreon.com slash podcast for more Sandu Stories episodes, with new chapters being added every single month. So what y'all waiting for? Oh, you're waiting for me to shut up so you can hear the episode? Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Here we go, here we go. Yeah. Stories, turn up your volume for me. I try to keep it happy when the details get gory, but sometimes I don't. And the shit gets real. But we know that's how you like it, cause the way it makes you feel. Sandu stories. Based on truth, but some things are exaggerated. Sandu stories. Been waiting on you, and we're so glad you made it. Sandu stories. Based on truth, but some things. My name is John Anglin. I escaped from Alcatraz in June of 1962 with my brother Clarence and Frank Morris. I'm 83 years old and in bad shape. I have cancer. Yes, we all made it out that night, but barely. Frank passed away in October of 2005, his grave in Alexandria under another name. My brother died in 2011. If you announce on TV that I will be promised to First, go to jail for no more than a year and get medical attention. I will write back and let you know exactly where I am. This is no joke. This is for real and honest truth. As I sat there taking in every word that was spilling out of that old man's mouth, I couldn't move. It was as if with every word he placed a new nail in the seat of my pants, pinning me to the chair. He was confessing. I had always known him under a different name, which I won't list here for fear of him being found out on my accord. But now he was saying he was John Anglin, the John Anglin, who in 1962 had attempted to escape the infamous, inescapable island prison known as Alcatraz. You may have heard of it. He and two other prisoners were never captured and assumed drowned but they had indeed survived. And here he was, telling it all to me. I had been Mr. Anglin's neighbor for some time now. He was one of the first people I met when I moved to Brazil. He had presented himself to me as an American who was taking advantage of the cheaper cost of living and less stressful life, all of which his Brazilian farm now offered him. 
He and his brother, who had passed away some time ago, had always kept to themselves, but were very friendly neighbors. I thought they really were just easygoing men who hated the busyness of the big cities and had come to Brazil to escape. Well, I was right about part of it, I guess. Now that John was dying, he said he needed someone to know the truth, and I guess I was just the closest person around. It was Frank who was the brains of the operation. He came up with the plan. Al and Clarence and I were just extra help. He explained how Frank had been sent to Alcatraz because no other prison could hold him. He had broken out so many times that they'd finally sent him to the rock, thinking there was no way he could escape it. Boy, were they wrong. Frank had been sent to prison after a failed bank robbery, just like the England brothers, who were also sent to Alcatraz because of their multiple escape attempts. Alan West, too. He had been a car thief, but because he attempted to escape his prison in Florida, he was shipped off, too. We was all alike in that way. We was just bank robbers. We never killed anyone or hurt anyone. There was one time Clarence and I used a toy gun, but that was just for scaring. We was never keen on violence. Just wanted the money. But Frank had been violent. He had been arrested for the first time at just 13. He was abandoned as a child and lived a rough life on the streets where he resorted to drugs and armed robbery to stay alive. I knew all of this. All the details about how the trio had dug out of the air vents in their rooms, made paper mache heads to resemble themselves, and then left them on the pillows so the guards wouldn't notice until the morning roll call, giving them ample time to execute their plan. Listen, Clarence is going to get us some hair since he works in the barbershop. Use whatever you chip off the wall to make the heads. Add this glue to it. Like in grade school, when they used to make us do that stupid paper mache. When he gets you the hair, glue it on top. I knew exactly the paper heads he was referring to. I had seen them on my trip to the Rock, which was now a national park that I had visited, and I toured the jail years before moving to Brazil. And there they were, the heads, right there in the cells where all four men had previously been locked up. Now the decoys were in place. Now all they had to do was escape out the vents. But Alan seemed to be having a little trouble. My vent is not coming out. I don't think I can make it in time. We have to push it back. But Frank knew there was no chance of that. They had to push forward. We can't. If this plan is going to work, we have to stick to it. The vent will come out. Keep working on it. In the meantime, we need some more of those raincoats and a few other supplies from you, John. Think you can manage? He knew I could manage. That's just the way Frank was. Always talking down. He never meant anything of it. Just the way his brain was. He was smarter than everyone else. The men had worked together in their various duties throughout the prison to gather supplies. In addition to the decoy heads, they had also constructed a makeshift raft with paddles and manufactured life vests for the trip. Alan was the first to find a weakness in the rapidly deteriorating compound. He had located a vent over cell block B that had no cement over it and therefore could be forced out, giving anyone who could climb out of it access to the roof. There was also a concealed area on top of the cell block that would allow them space and secrecy to construct their tools needed for escape. We all just put in a request. One would go, then we would wait a week or so, and the next would request. Guards really paid it no mind. They figured all their job was to make sure we didn't kill each other. Keep us quiet and behave. Let the island take care of making sure they don't escape. It took them around six months to chip away at the wall around their vents, making the vents large enough to slip through. They had used cardboard, painted to match the wall to cover the holes, and it worked. From the outside, no one ever suspected a thing. 
Frank was so smart. We was all chipping away with spoons or saw blades, whatever we could get our hands on. But Frank, he built his own drill out of a vacuum cleaner motor. He had claimed it needed replacing and threw the old bad one out. I'll tell you, if it wasn't for him, none of us would have made it out. Oh, but poor Alan. That's right. I remember hearing how Alan hadn't made it out that night and was the reason we knew so much today about the escape. He had confessed to police after they figured out he was involved. Alan had made a terrible mistake that night. It caused him not to be able to get out of his cell in time. He had hung his cardboard decoy to the wall using cement, and it had hardened, causing Alan to be delayed, and the group left without him. But not before Clarence made a plead in his favor. We can wait a few minutes, man. Come on. Maybe we can go back and help him out. We have to go, Clarence. We have to stick to the plan, or none of us will make it. We go back now and our chance is as good as gone. We have to leave Alan. He'll find his own way out. We hated leaving him, but we all would have done the same thing. Frank was right. This was our only chance. I realize now I was leaning forward awkwardly, like a child peering over the rail into a zoo exhibit, waiting to see something move. I shifted in my chair and I sat up clearing my throat. What happened to him? I asked, referring to Alan. I already knew the answer, but I wanted to see what he would say. I was still teetering on whether he actually was John Anglin or not. In and out of prison. Then he killed a cellmate and got himself life. Was back out in Florida, though. He died in his cell, some kind of internal thing. It checked out. But it was also public information. But he continued. The water was the worst part. But we was used to it. Growing up, when we was just boys, we used to swim in Lake Michigan during the winter just for fun. I did think I was going to die, though. The waters in the bay surrounding the prison were known for being frigid, even though it was June. The average temperature hovers around 45 to 55 degrees Fahrenheit, with hypothermia occurring in water as warm as 60 to 70 degrees. After climbing down chimney shafts and over fences, the group hit a part of the island that was out of sight of the guard towers and searchlights. There, they used John's concertina, which is like a small accordion, to blow up the raft and life jackets. The current is going to be the hardest part. We just have to keep the boat pointing at those lights over there. Keep straight and paddle hard. What about the shocks? Asked Clarence. John chuckled a little, which caused him to start into a very bad cough, which lasted several minutes. And I ran to the kitchen to grab a glass of water, assisted him in lifting off of his pillow to take a sip. And as his head rested back on the pillow, he looked me in the eyes and said, Frank told Clarence, pray. He began to laugh again, but calmed himself when the cough started up this time. He was not doing well. In fact, I had never seen him look worse. He had told me about the cancer a while back, but I had no idea it was this bad or happening this fast. You should have seen my little brother's face. I don't think he got his color back until we hit solid ground again. It had only been a mile and a quarter from Alcatraz to the mainland, but it had taken them hours, John said. At least that's what it felt like. There was no way for him to know. It's not as if he had a watch, he had said snarkily. We stayed on the run from the moment our feet hit the dirt, moving from place to place, always looking over our shoulders. I heard they even thought we were murdered at one point. The FBI said we drowned and that was the end of it. But the damn marshals won't give up till I'm a hundred or dead. He was right. They have never closed the case and won't until the year 2031, John's 100th birthday. 
or until he is confirmed captured. I had seen that on a TV series about unsolved mysteries. It was what first got me interested in the Alcatraz trio. Only regret I have is not being able to be there when the guards realized we were not in those beds. I heard it scared the shit out of one guard when the head rolled off the bed. He said he squealed like a girl afraid of a little spider. He had begun to laugh again, and with it came another round of violent coughing. This one was worse than the first, and ended with blood in his hands, which he had coughed up. I handed him a small hand towel that was on a chair next to the bed, and he wiped it away. How do I know you're telling me the truth? I said, peering at him suspiciously. He continued to clean off his hands and didn't even look up at me when he said, You don't. He paused, then raised his head and his eyes met mine. They were cold and lifeless. He doesn't have long left, I thought to myself. But I'm telling you anyway, he finally said in a very matter-of-fact tone. By this time, I was a mix of confused, angry, amused. Why was he telling me all of this? Was he wanting me to turn him in? Wanting to confess? I'm not a religious man. I could call him a priest. The look on my face must have relayed my emotions and concerns. John shifted in his bed, pulling himself into a more upright position. He cleared his throat and took a sip of water. And then he told me, Don't worry, no one's coming. I already wrote to the FBI and they don't believe me. I have no one left. I'm old, all my friends are dead. I'm not delusional enough to think a sinner like me is getting into heaven. But if you want to pray on my behalf, I won't stop you. I just wanted to tell someone. It's such a fun story. I know how much you love your stories. I've read them. My favorite was the one for that Brazilian magazine that talked about the impact of these damn businesses on our jungles. You tell good stories. I thought you could tell mine. So that's what I plan to do. For anyone who will listen, and for those who believe, the story is that the men survived their escape attempt on Alcatraz. They spent years on the run, moving any time they came under suspicion. The Anglin brothers sent flowers to their mother every Mother's Day until her death, and risked being caught to attend their mother and father's funerals. His former companions had passed, and he was the only one left. He had no other option but to try and get help by writing to the FBI. He thought that he would not die alone if he could get them to agree. I would later find out that the examination and testing results of the letter would be inconclusive. They were never really able to positively credit it to the real John Anglin. But they weren't able to deny it either. Before I left John's bedside that night, he asked if I was going to tell his story, if I believe him, and I replied back to him, well, John, those are two different things, and one does not concern the other. I was not sure. Was I going to write the ramblings of a dying man into Hollywood fiction? Was I going to present it as historically documentative? Was he full of shit and going to die of laughter as soon as I walked out the door? His last words being, you should have seen his face. And the second part, did I believe him? Was he really John Anglin? Did he really chip a hole in his jail cell wall and makeshift a raft to swim across the frigid bay and escape the most inescapable prison? Either way, I thought, makes for a good story, huh? Updates in 2015 facial recognition software was used to analyze a photo given to the Anglin brothers' family by a friend who claimed it was one of the brothers. 
He claimed he had run into the brothers in Brazil during the 1970s and snapped this photo of them. The software concluded that it was very likely that the images of the bearded men in Brazil were in fact that of John and Clarence Anglin. Though some still doubt that the trio made it out of the hypothermia-inducing waters that night, no bodies were ever recovered. In fact, the only thing recovered was one of the makeshift paddles and a raincoat used as part of the raft. They were found on neighboring Angel Island. However, this information was kept from the public until the 2010s. Why was this information withheld? Seems a bit suspicious. A year after the trio's escape, another man attempted to swim across the bay. With floaties he had made out of pumped up rubber gloves, he successfully reached the land near the famous Golden Gate Bridge and then was recaptured, but nearly dead from hypothermia. However, this did confirm that surviving the swim was not impossible. In fact, there is now a triathlon held on the island every year, and athletes make the swim all the time. Alcatraz was shut down as a prison in 1963. It was clear that the prison was no longer the scary fortress it had been thought of in previous years, but instead now a monument, a reminder of humanity's dark, dark past. Now, of course, if you're still not convinced, I have one more piece of evidence to play you. This is an interview with a man named Bud Morris, who is Frank Morris's closest living relative, or at least at the time of the interview. And this interview is quite recent. Um, of course, Frank Morris being the brains of the operation, the escape artist who grew up on the streets, um, the lifetime criminal Frank Morris. This is his closest living relative, and this is what he has to say about the Alcatraz escape and the common belief that those men died in the water that day. I don't know where they come from, but I know that that's got to be wrong because I know that Frank went to my daddy's sister house in Detroit, Michigan. I know that. And I do know that after I saved two months, Frank was back in California. Now he called me, I talked to him, I saw him. And that's all hogwash to me. I don't believe it because I know it's a lie, so I don't waste my time on it. I've heard that myself, but I just write it off and go about my business. Well, that's a, if you know anything, there ain't no use trying to convince nobody because I didn't care that much about it. But I know what I've seen, I know what I've done, and that's enough for me. Now, if this thing shows on the air, you're going to have people coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> I don't know how much of that was true. I don't know how many people really responded to his interview. It doesn't seem like that many. Um, not many people are willing to take the word of an old man on his, in his last years these days, um, or I guess ever before. But he sounds pretty damn convincing to me, and I don't know what reason he would have to lie about seeing his relative Frank afterwards. He says that he saw him in California. Um, he saw him where? In Michigan, where he visited their, uh, his mother. So I do think that these men, these men did make it out. And think about it. They scoured the ocean, right? They scoured the area around Alcatraz. 
and didn't find anything but evidence of the rafts and tools they used to get out, which just adds more evidence to their story. Right? And then we have Alan, who got left behind, and Alan had evidence that he was trying to escape as well. Got left behind and knew they knew he was involved. Um, he had no reason to lie at that time. You know, saying all those things would probably probably just got him punished even more. I'm sure he probably spent some time in solitary. If I mean, if you get to be around other people in um, Alcatraz, I, I really don't know. But either way, it's an incredible story. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this retelling of it. Retelling of it. Retelling of it. All right, Creepers, there you have it. We hope you enjoyed this little Patreon sneak peek. And like I said at the beginning, a new Sandu Stories is released every month with Chapter 7 coming out Thursday, September 9th. And that's on patreon.com slash Podcast. Also, while you're at it, be sure to peep the True Crime Guys link tree in the description and get hooked up with all the exciting shit going on here at True Crime Guys Productions. We'll see y'all next week with a new Freeloader app. Keep creeping. Keep creeping.